Bible with you, you might like to turn to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 1, and I'm reading from verse 1. Uh, Acts chapter 1, and reading from verse 1. In my former book, Philophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Luke tells us that uh, Jesus had been uh, appearing to the disciples over a period of 40 days and uh, In the 40 days in between uh, Easter and Ascension, we've been looking at uh, some of those resurrection appearances. Uh, We saw how Jesus uh, appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We looked at Jesus appearing to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee and uh, restoring Peter. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at uh, doubting Thomas when Jesus appeared in that upper room and uh, showed himself to Thomas. I don't know if you know, but last Thursday was uh, Ascension Day. We don't tend to make a, a huge think of, uh, of Ascension Day, but I thought it would be good for us uh, to look on uh, what is uh, in some churches called Ascension Sunday, because it's a Sunday that follows uh, the Thursday, which of course is 40 days uh, after Easter, that we'd look at this uh, strange uh, incident that Luke uh, records right at the beginning of Acts, uh, uh, the Ascension Uh, when Jesus was taken up into heaven. And I don't know about you, but I wonder what it would have been like. And, uh, you know, just how it happened. Probably not like that, but there you go. (laughs) Jesus, uh, as he's leaving the disciples, uh, he leaves them with several things. And uh, the first thing that uh, Jesus leaves the disciples with is uh, the promise. Jesus leaves disciples with the promise of God. He says to them, he says, 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the gift my father promised. He tells them to wait for the promise to come. I don't know about you. I don't know if you're very good at waiting. Um, came across a story about a group of travellers who were being made to wait for their aeroplane, uh, which was late due to another flight being cancelled. The crowd looked uh, impatient, and as time went on, finally an angry passenger pushed his way to the front of the line, slammed his ticket down and said, I must be on this flight now, and it must be first class. Flight attendant tried to be nice said, Sir, we'll get you as soon as possible, but you must wait in line like everyone else. He quickly said, Ma'am, do you have any idea who I am? Without hesitation, she smiled, picked up her intercom microphone and said, We have a passenger here at plates at the gates who doesn't know who he is. If anyone can help, find his identity, please come to gate 17. Jesus tells the disciples to wait for the promise of God. The promise, of course, is that in a few days they will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. But for now they are to wait. They are to wait for the appointed time when they will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. But notice that while they are waiting, that waiting isn't an impassive time. It isn't a time of doing nothing. Uh, in verses uh, 12 through to the end of the chapter we read about the, some of the things that they did while they were waiting uh, they returned to Jerusalem uh, as Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem and uh, they, uh, they, when they arrived they went upstairs to the room where they were staying so there's a list of who they were the disciples who were present it says they all joined together constantly in prayer so while they were waiting uh, they continued to pray It says in verse 15 that Peter uh, spoke to them uh, from the scriptures uh, which had to be filled. So not only did they uh, pray while they were waiting, but they opened the scriptures and studied the scriptures. And then later on it tells them about how they went on uh, replacing Judas, who of course had uh, sadly killed himself. And they needed to replace uh, him with another disciple. So they carried on with the church's business. So, while they were waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, uh, they carried on doing those things, praying together, meeting together, opening up scripture together, and doing the work of the church, uh, fulfilling uh, the place that had been uh, left on the discipleship. So, Jesus leaves the disciple of the promise of something that's going to happen, a promise that is to come. The things about uh, uh, the promises that, that Jesus gives is that they do come. And Andrew uh, was referring earlier, you know, sometimes uh, we feel that God has given us a promise, that he said something to us. And uh, we wait and we wait and we wait. And uh, sometimes it seems that those promises are unfulfilled. Uh, but Jesus said that this was going to happen. And uh, the disciples took that to heart. And for once, the disciples do what they're told. You know, that's what disciples are supposed to do. Uh, Just do the things that Jesus said. And Jesus tells them to go and wait in Jerusalem. And that's what they did. They went and and they waited in Jerusalem. So, Jesus, as he leaves the disciples, as he's taken back up into heaven, the first thing he leaves them with is that promise that there is something to come that is worth waiting for. 
And then Jesus leads the disciples with the power of God. Jesus leads the disciples with the power of God. He says to them, uh, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that the Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. One of the things they weren't to do was uh, to, uh, to think about or to, uh, to try and see into the future about what might happen. There's always somebody uh, predicting uh, the end of the world. I uh, don't know whether you came, whether you heard about this guy. Harold Camping is one of the latest people. Uh, he predicted that the end of the world was going to be uh, May the 21st, 2011. 2011 uh, which was a couple of Saturdays ago. You'll be pleased to know that, uh, uh, that it didn't happen. Uh, apparently he's come up with another date now, sometime in October. So, uh, so do, get, do make a note in your diary. Uh, I'll find out the date if you're interested. But there's always somebody, isn't there, uh, predicting the end of the world and looking for, for signs that the end is coming. And of course Jesus, uh, one of the things he says, well you are waiting. He says, don't be worrying. I've been trying to predict what's going to happen. Uh, because, as Jesus says, uh, it's not for you to know the times and dates. And we do get bothered about times and dates, don't we? Uh, we do get bothered. We want to know what's happening. We want to know what God's doing. Uh, we want to God to keep us informed. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it's almost as if, you know, if God, God doesn't keep us informed, then he jolly well should do. As if somehow God is answerable to us, rather than us being answerable to God. But Jesus leaves them, and he tells them not to worry about his return, but he's leaving them with the promise of God and with the power of God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I don't know whether you've... uh, whether you've seen the film Bruce Almighty, great film, I commend it to you. A story of a man who, uh, who was having a horrible time with life and felt that he could do a better job than God at ruling the world. And God meets with him and says, okay, I'm going to give you all my powers and uh, see if you can do a better job than me. And, uh, and Bruce goes off with all the power of God. And uh, a week later, uh, God meets up with him. If you watch the film, what Bruce does with the power of God uh, for the first week is, uh, as he says, he writes a few wrongs, a group of bullies that are uh, picked on him, he, he sorts them out, he, he, he makes it possible for himself to get a promotion at work, and uh, he does lots of things to help himself, uh, using the power of God for his own benefits. Interesting, isn't it, that... Uh, you know, when Jesus says that they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, when they uh, receive uh, the power of God, he says, the power of God will be for you uh, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I wonder whether we're sometimes guilty of uh, using the power of God for our own benefits. You know, so often in church, when we think about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, uh, we tend to think them about, you know, enhancing our worship, uh, giving us a, a, a better experience of God. And uh, we read uh, in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus says that when 
you receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. And uh, it seems to me that the Holy Spirit was given in the first place to enable, to empower the disciples to be witnesses. In Jerusalem, where they were, in Samaria, in Judea, and to the very ends of the earth. What have we done with the power of God? The Holy Spirit that we have received. Have we used it in the way that God wants us to do? Are we a bit like Bruce in that film? Uh, we're going to sort out a few things in our own life first and, uh, and have a bit of fun with our own lives. Somebody said that the average churchgoer will, over the course of their life, hear 4,000 sermons. Imagine that. 4,000 sermons, sing 20,000 songs, participate in 8,000 public prayers, and lead zero sinners to faith in Jesus Christ. Quite a sobering statistic. I wonder how close we are to that average. 4,000 sermons, 20,000 songs, 8,000 public prayers, leading zero sinners in faith to Christ. You see... The Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost to empower the disciples to continue the mission of Christ in the world. Vance Harder puts it this way, We don't have a secret to be hidden, but a story to be heralded. The gospel is not something that we come to church to hear, it's something we go from church to tell. Not something we come to church to hear. It's something we go from church to tell. Rob Bell, uh, in his book, uh, Jesus Wants to Save Christians, says it's as if Jesus says, if it happens in Jerusalem, it will be impossible for it to stay in Jerusalem. But Jesus is not done after the Judea and Samaria party concludes with, to the ends of the earth. The prophets have spoken of the ends of the earth because they understood just how global and powerful the message is. If it's liberation for all humanity, for all creation, how could something that massive, that true, that good, that compelling, stay in Jerusalem? Whenever I read uh, this passage, I can't help thinking, you know, that uh, where we are, Lom in Rosendale, is that the end of the world? Is that the ends of the earth, you know, that Jesus was talking to about when he said... How the gospel was going to spread. How it couldn't be contained. That Jerusalem wasn't big enough for it to be contained. That it would spread out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And from where they were, we are the ends of the earth. What Jesus says, the promise has come true because we too have heard that wonderful gospel. It's transformed our lives. And uh, now we are the bearers of good news. And we too receive the Holy Spirit that empowers us. To be witnesses. Andrew asked for somebody to give uh, a testimony, to be a witness this morning to what God had done in their life. That's what we're called to do. You know, a witness. It's a, it's a term from the, the court of law when somebody stands up and says, you know, this is what I saw. This is what this person did. We give a testimony to what we've seen and what we've heard. And uh, I wonder what our testimony is about God. Whether we have a testimony. Whether we can be witnesses. And that's why the disciples were told to wait. 
to receive the power. They weren't to go in there on in their own strength. And it's interesting, you know, you know, Peter, I'm sure you know him, in Acts chapter 2, he stands up and he preaches. And therefore once, you know, throughout the Gospels, Peter's been the disciple that's got it wrong. He's jumped in with his own two feet and he's, he's done things uh, in his own strength. And for once he listens to Jesus and he waits and he receives the power. And in Acts we see a very different Peter. A Peter that's been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. A Peter that stands up. A Peter that was frightened by a servant girl uh, as Jesus was arrested and didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Suddenly is standing up in front of thousands of people and declaring the message of Jesus. Because he's received that power to be a witness. So Jesus leaves the disciples with the promise of God. He leaves the disciples with the power of God. And then finally, Jesus leaves the disciples with the purpose of God. We know about the purpose of God. We spent, we spent 40 days uh, together as a church uh, looking at the purposes of God for our lives. And here we see as Jesus is, uh, is taken up into heaven... Um, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them interesting isn't it when the, when the angels appear in the gospels have you noticed uh, when do the angels appear just give me an incident when the angels appear in the gospels anybody bring a message bring a message, bring a message yeah somebody else when Jesus was born, yeah, they announced his birth, you know, to Mary and, uh, and to the shepherds. And uh, they were there announcing the birth. Next. Next appearance. Garden of Gethsemane. Okay. Could have been the uh, temptation, after the temptation maybe. They came and ministered to Jesus, yeah. Conception, yeah, the birth, the birth now it is. The, the next appearance, I reckon, was the, uh, the cru- after the crucifixion, the resurrection, they appear in the tomb, don't they? And they tell uh, the women uh, that he's not here, that he's risen. And here they appear again, the suddenly, without the, the usual do not be afraid. And Luke's very casual, isn't he? He just talks about two, two men dressed in white. Uh, you and I may have wanted to uh, be a bit more flowery in our description uh, if we saw angels appear. But it seemed to appear at significant times in the gospel uh, to say and explain what's happening. They explain the birth that Jesus was coming. They explained to the disciples about the fact that Jesus had risen from the grave. And here they are. And uh, it's interesting to look what the angels say. You know... Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Isn't that an amazing thing? Uh, why do you stand gazing up into the heavens? In other words, the angels wanted to uh, redirect the disciples' attentions to things on earth. They'd been given their commission that they were to be witnesses. They were to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on them. And they weren't to stand gazing into the heavens. Again, sometimes, you know, are we guilty of doing that? You know, uh, you know, it's great, don't get me wrong. 
uh, I want us to worship God. I want us to, uh, you know, uh, part of our, our lives, it's so important. That first purpose we learned in, when we did the 40 Days of Purpose, was the first purpose was to worship God, you know, with all our heart and with all our mind and with all who we are. You know, but sometimes I wonder whether we're as guilty as disciples that we, you know, spend a lot of time gazing up into heaven when there's actually work to be done here on earth. You know, the disciples were to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the angels are saying to the disciples, you know, don't stand there gazing up into the heavens. Get on and do the things that Jesus has said. Why are you standing looking into heavens? The angels are directing the disciples back to the present earthly reality. Now they know who Jesus is. They've seen him live and die and resurrected and now ascended back into heaven. They're only human, limited by time and space, vulnerable to misunderstanding, exposed to the whims of people. But this Jesus has now commissioned them to go, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Walter uh, Brueggemann, uh, in his book, Mandate to Difference, says this, It turns out that the one who has ascended into power is not transcendent in remoteness. It's not splendid in indifference, but is deeply in touch with the reality of the earth, where money and power and social leverage and differentiation of gender, race and class have leaves some dangerously exposed. The Father God, whom we pray, our Father, rides on the clouds, not as a joyrider, but rather to be in the position to see and to know and to care and to intervene and to feed and to heal and to forgive and to reconcile and to liberate. It turns out that ascension whereby God is celebrated in power, is a claim that the earth is ordered differently because of the one who governs it. Ascension is therefore the day in which we celebrate what God has done to Jesus, now becomes the mandate of the church to serve the world. We become agents of a new government. The ascension states that there is regime regime change in the world. And Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He ascends into the heavens. And the disciples are left with the promise of God that they will be recipients of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will come upon them. Of the power of God to transform their lives so that they can be witnesses and for the purpose of God, so that they can live out the rest of their lives doing the things that Jesus did. Notice right at the beginning, Acts says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taking up in heaven. He spends the rest of the book of Acts telling the story of what Jesus continued to do through the disciples. And we could add our story to the end of that. Because ours is a story of what Jesus continues to do. And so we are to receive the promise of God. We are to receive the power of God so that we can be about the purpose of God. Let's just pause.